All right, you guys got your Bibles? Have we opened them up yet? James chapter 2. Still working on it? Um, hey, uh, I've been telling you guys, um, don't, don't hate the messenger, hate the message. <laughs> Remember that? We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks. I want to tell you right where we are in Scripture today and uh, recently is we're in the deep end. But I'm in it with you, and, and we're, we're wading through the deep end together. We're going to figure these things out together. Um, if you're maybe new in church or, or this, this maybe church experience is new to you, um, this, this, this is maybe not always the, um, the, as direct a place as we are in the Scripture today. You know, I know we live in a, in a millennial culture where people get offended easy, you know, so we try to, we don't offend too many people. But that, that's out the window when you're in the book of James because everybody's toes are going to get stepped on today. That's just the way it was. You know, if every one of us, if every one of you guys spent some time with Jesus and then God called you, and without a doubt inspired by the Holy Spirit, the things that are written down in the Bible. But, but invariably, if, if God used everybody in this room to write some things down, your personality, the, your vision, the way you kind of see the passion, the things that you have, they, they would fit into your writing. They would be infused into who you are as a person. For example, John, who was one of the disciples of Jesus, um, Grandpa John, right, who wrote First and Second John, who wrote the book of Revelation, the Gospel of John, he, he, he was so moved by the love of Jesus. When you read John's writing, he says, Beloved, love one another. And he tells us over and over again to love one another, that love is the greatest commandment, and that love is the greatest fulfillment of your Christian living, to love God and to love people. And you're reading, the, you're reading John's writings in the epistle. And if you're like me, you read a verse and you get, get going for a while and then you're like, you read the verse and you're like, hold on a minute, I already read that. I just read that. So you're checking to make sure like you didn't move on. You skip back, it's read over something you already read. You're like, no, that's him saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. He just keeps repeating himself, love one another, love one another, because that's his personality. That's, that's, that's who he is as a Christ follower. And, and that's what comes out in his writing. Well, James, he's a different kind of brother. James is like that crusty old dude that's like no nonsense, and, and he's just going to tell you how it is. And, and so, again, he, he's going to deal with some issues that we really need to deal with. Now, um, if, if, if John, let me tell you something about John really quick, and then we'll get back to James. John, he, he's known today as the disciple of love. The Bible says of the, of the John, the writer, that, that he was the one whom Jesus loved. And to be honest, the Greek is actually that Jesus loved John more than the other disciples. And I can't unpack that today, but I'll just tell you that, 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 that the Bible says that God meets us where we are. And the closer you draw to God, the closer he's going to draw to you. The more you want Jesus in your life, the more Jesus is going to reveal himself, is going to come into your life, is going to be a part of your life, is going to be close to you, is going to speak to you. That's up to you because Jesus and God is a gentleman and he wants what's best for you and he wants to be a part of your life. But at the same time, he's not going to take areas of your life that you don't want to give him. And John wanted to give Jesus every area of his life. And that's why the love in John's heart and life from Jesus was so much bigger than the others. And it wasn't that Jesus made a choice to favor John. It was that John wanted to open up every area of his life to Jesus and the love of God. And Jesus loved, Jesus, Jesus loved John more than the other disciples. James is also, even though James is a serious, hardcore person, I like that James, all the way through, if you just sat down in one setting, it'd take you about 20 minutes, and you read through the book of James, multiple James says, my beloved brethren, my beloved brethren. So even though he's telling us something that's hard to hear, 
even though he's telling us something that steps on our toes a little bit, he's still, because of the, you cannot have, listen, you cannot have a, a relationship and an impact, a real impact of Jesus in your life and not love people. John already said, and John is the apostle of love. And John said, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar. You say, oh, well, isn't he a guy that loves? Why? How could, if you love me, why would you be calling me a liar? Because that's what's good for you. If I love you, I'll tell you, get your butt out of the street. You're going to get hit by a car, right? And, and so John and, and then James, he, he is a man of love, but he tells it like it is. And what we're going to deal with today is, is real faith and real salvation. And, and hopefully today in the message, because it's where we are in the Bible, and what I do is I just cover whatever the Bible covers on that Sunday that we, we go. We do about a chapter, half a chapter a week. And, and today's chapter is challenging you and me about our salvation. Are you saved? Are you going to heaven when you die? How do you know you're going to heaven when you die? What, what, is, what is the proof in your life? That's what John's going to deal with today. James, I'm sorry. James is going to deal with today. And I want to challenge you. You know, I might hear somebody say, Pastor, why in the world would you want to challenge people on whether or not they're going to heaven? Why would you want people to doubt their own salvation? To that I say, why would I not? It only makes people that are saved stronger. And maybe somebody who's, who's under the illusion that they're saved and they're not, maybe we did them a service and they, they, they realized that, that they were only giving lip service and living in, in a lie and were able to make a full surrender of their heart and life to the Lord Jesus and got saved. And there's nothing wrong for, for us to be as believers challenged a little bit. Now, now listen, I don't want to create within any, any, within any of us who know or any of us a doubt James said that you know that you know, but let's just, let's just think about it, right? I know I'm saying no message, no pastor, no word of of this kind of context would ever make me for a second doubt if I'm saved or not. I know that I'm saved, put my faith and my trust and I made a full surrender of my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I I heard the voice of God, um, not audibly, but but confirmed through his word and and, and just encouraging me that that I am a child of God. Here, let me me start with this and then we're going to get into James, I promise. You know, we we, we like this term, um, children of God, right? Maybe in poems, maybe in in songs, you know, maybe in, in, in really in a world or a secular setting, we might say we are all the children of God, Right? You guys jive with that? You think we're all the children of God? We're all God's children, you know, big and strong, black and white, little, uh, no, we're all precious in his sight. We're all the children of God. But which, which, if we're being technical, I don't have a problem with that, you know, it's cool. Like all dogs go to heaven. Like I'm not going to unpack that for you. It's cool. I don't have a problem with that. Whatever, whatever you want to believe. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I don't know, but it is what it is, right? It's no big deal. But um, some of you dog lovers are looking at me like, I just tell you this, the Bible says heaven is going to be better than anything that you could think or imagine. Okay. So your dogs will be there if you want them there. Um, or God will give you a better dog and yours went somewhere else. <laughs> oh, I'm not a dog lover, by the way. Oh, that's okay. I was, I was scarred as a child and I never had pets growing up. I just learned to hate them. So just learned the pit bull next door. I had to stay away from him before he attacked me. But um, what was I talking about? <laughs> Going to heaven. 
not care. Children of God, that's what it was. Hey, well, listen, just, just again, if we're being honest today, and we're being honest today, so we're not pulling any punches today. We're, we're just saying what the Word of God says. But in love, right, I, wanna, I want this to come across in love. And, and I do want to challenge us, though, at what the Word of God says. So um, this is what Jesus said in John chapter 1. Stay in James. If you want to flip to John 1, quick, you can. If not, don't worry about it. I'll get right back. Jesus said in John chapter 1, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Listen, but to as many as received him, somebody say received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name. Jesus said the children of God are the ones who receive Jesus in their lives. The real children of God are the ones who put their faith and trust in God. And if we're being technical, God created everybody. And in that sense, people say because we're God's creation, we're God's children. But really... The children of God are the ones who receive the invitation, the free invitation that Jesus gives to every one of you to come into your life and be a part of your life and to forgive you of your sins and to deliver you from hellfire and damnation and deliver you to, to eternity with Jesus in heaven. And, and that is, is those that are a child of God. So let's go to James. We're going to pick up where we, are, where we left off last week in James chapter 1. Now I want to tell you, I'm going to jam through the first part a little bit, you guys. We're going to kind of focus on the second half of James, but I will cover it just a little bit. Hey, last week we said there was two things in the um, book of James that were kind of the themes that we're going to go through. Number one is Christian maturity. I'm going to preach a whole sermon on what that means very soon, maybe next week, because I don't want to just throw out an idea that, that people don't understand. And I, think in order, and I think it's complicated. Christian maturity is not black and white. Um, being mature and immature, we might all understand that. But I really want to unpack what it means because Christian maturity is, is, is a little different, okay? I'm being careful I don't preach that today. But the first thing that James wants us to do is he wants us to grow up and become mature as believers, to, to grow in the faith of Jesus Christ, to be in a position. The number one evidence, James already said in chapter 1, remember? James said that, that count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And let, let trials have their what? Anybody remember? Perfect work producing patience in your life. What does is, what is patience produce in your life? What does patience do as a believer? What does patience scream to God? Patience screams, I trust you. I trust you, God. If you're a patient person when trials happen in the context of trials, something crappy is going on in your life, something terrible, and, and you're just kind of chill about it, you're patient, you're waiting on God to see what he can do, Part of what patience does is in the life of a believer is, is it screams, God, I trust you. This is hard. This is bad. I'm struggling. But I'm not falling apart. And I trust you. And I'm going to wait. I'm going to be patient and allow God to come through and do what he wants to do. But God, I trust you. So James tells us to let patience have its work. And then as we get into um, chapter 2, so the two things, hypocrisy, doesn't want us to be hypocrites. Every one of us, I think, to some degree, myself especially, deals with and has a probably a certain level of hypocrisy in my life. Not, 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 not purposeful hypocrisy, but I, I'm sure just in the struggles and in the sins and in the lifestyle that, that we all lead, we struggle. And there's a certain bit of hypocrisy in, us all, in all Christians, you know. Some people say, oh, I don't want to go to church. Christians are all hypocrites. Yeah, pretty much. But come and join us because you're a hypocrite too. And it... And if you don't, and if you don't, if you don't want to be around hypocrites, then don't go to the movies because I'm sure they're all there too. 
And definitely don't go to Walmart because I'm sure there's some hypocrites walking up and down those aisles. You know, like they're, you know, they're, they're everywhere. Hey, chapter two, it says, my, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with partiality. For if there should come in your assembly, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes, and you say to him, hey, what's up, man? You sit over here in this good place. And you say to the poor man, hey, go stand over there. Go sit over there on a footstool. And have, you have shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. So the first thing James is addressing within the church, and it's in the body, this particular context, is the early church and the way they would treat people that would come in. And people that came in with, with rings and signet rings and certain rings, they actually meant something, you know. Sometimes you'll see somebody and they got a ring on every finger. Well, in, in the first century and in, in Jewish culture, um, the rings actually did mean something. You got rings if you were wealthy, if you had property, if you had things, you would, you would amass wings. Some of these guys would wear rings on all their fingers. And it meant something. They even had a place, um, like, you, like we rent tuxedos where you could go, if you had like a vent you were going to, you could go rent some rings. Show up with your fake with your with your fake Rolex and your rings. Today, I guess it's diamonds, right? Are they cubic zirconians? But now everybody wears these diamonds that got money, you know, and their ears and their noses and their faces, and and, and they speak of of money. Those things are expensive. So when you see those things, you automatically assume this person has money, and because they have money, we we treat them differently. And if we're being honest, we all have a little bit of that, right? One of the things that I love about Jesus is a verse that's kind of hard to understand, but Jesus said of himself, Jesus made himself, listen, Jesus made himself of no reputation. What does that mean? But it's so powerful. Now, I don't know, who do you guys, who do you guys like idolize? Who do you like in the world? Who's your favorite movie star, professional athlete? Think in your mind right now who you really like. Who's somebody that you'd love to meet, you'd love to see? Okay? Um, somebody in the early service said Tiger Woods. Hey, that was me. But... Um, and Tiger Woods is foul, too. You know what they do with Tiger Woods? Whenever he swings a golf club, this is true. Every time Tiger Woods swings a golf club, they, they know now. They have to mute the mics that are near him because they're never sure what kind of foul stuff is going to come out of his mouth right after he, he swings the golf club. But um, um, it, it, whoever, you, whoever you just thought of, your most famous person, if they walked in right now and sat next to you, how would you feel? How would you react? Did you get nervous? Like, what would you say? What would you do? Like, you, you might not, like, you would be awestruck. You might be a little starstruck. And maybe some people do that to you, some won't. But if that certain person, you know, you, you, you would have, without a doubt, a certain um, respect and a certain, a certain um, you'd be afraid. You wouldn't know how to talk to him. You wouldn't know how to approach him. You definitely wouldn't want to go up to him, you know. And so um, Jesus, the Bible says, made himself of no reputation. So powerful. Jesus hung out with common people just like you and me, and he created his life in such a way so that nobody would be afraid to approach him, that you and I and everybody could just come and love and just feel comfortable around him. He made himself of no reputation. Now, let me, let me tell you guys this just, just straight up. If there was one person that ever lived in human history that had right to have reputation, that had right to have some, some star status and, 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 and some awe factor about him, it was probably the guy who could walk on water. It was probably the guy who could die and just raise himself back up when he was after he was dead for a couple of days. 
It was the guy that when he needed money, he would just tell Peter, hey, go down to the sea and grab a fish and open his mouth and pull the money out. Right? It was the guy that could take a few, a few Lunchables and feed 5,000 people. Right? And, and, and yet Jesus made himself of no reputation. I love that. But we respect people and reputation. You know, the Bible says about Jesus when he walked on the earth that he was no respecter of persons. He didn't respect rich people better than poor people. He didn't treat people differently. He didn't care who you were. Death is the great equalizer. They were all the same in God's eyes. And Jesus treated everybody the same. And he wants us in the church to do the same. And it doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter if, you, if you're tattooed, if you dress funny, if you've got holes in your face and your t- tongue and whatever, or you, or you come in a suit. You know, for us, it's like in Calvary, right? We're different, right? It's not like the people that stand out here are not the people with holes in their face and t- all tattoos all over them. It's somebody shows up in a nice suit looking real sharp. There they stand out more than anybody else. You know, like you got to be in flip-flop t-shirt to fit in. But, hey, but here's the deal, bottom line. You, you're all welcome just as you are. Come as you are. God, God looks at your heart, and it doesn't matter if you come in your jeans or in your flip-flops. God's not concerned with what's on your back. That's not what makes you holy. That's not what makes you Christian. What's in your heart makes you holy. What's in your heart sets you apart. What's in your heart makes you Christian. So, so come with the right heart. You know, you can come in here in a three-piece suit, and it's 110 degrees outside, and all you'll be doing is stinking the place up. And it don't make you any more holy or precious than anybody else. Guy, again, that can come in, you know, all messed up in life, but has just broken his head, head down before God and really wants God to touch his life. And that's the one that God's going to see. That's the one that God's going to touch. And then it says, um, so he doesn't want us to be partial, you guys. He wants us to treat everybody the same. And then in verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love? So in God's economy, it's a little different anyways. You know, people that are really wealthy here on the earth are not going to be the ones for all of eternity that are going to live that way. The roles are going to be reversed. And if you place your treasure in God's kingdom and you invest in God's kingdom here on this earth, you're going to be the Bill Gates of heaven. You're going to be the players and the movers and the shakers in heaven. The difference is Bill Gates and and George Soros and these money movers today, they they, got to be boss for like 80 years. But if you invest in the kingdom of God, and you have nothing here because you, 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 you see life as the next life, then you'll get to be boss for like 100 billion years. So you got a much better deal if you invest in God's kingdom and you're rich for eternity as opposed to wealth here on the earth. And then in verse 8 it says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. In verse 7, I'm sorry, I missed it. Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? What's the noble name by which you are called in verse 7? Christian. The noble name by which we're called is Christian. And the term Christian, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that we were first called Christian in Antioch. And the name given to the early church actually by the press. It was the, the, the TV and the news reporters, the newspaper writers who, who re- saw this group, this sect, that they called the way that they were growing and they were, they were planning churches and they were um, recruiting and 3000 people on Pentecost and they were observing this movement. And they said, these people act like Jesus. So we're going to call them Christians or Christ-like. And it was actually a name given to us by the press that we that is stuck, that we keep to this day. And, and at one point it might've even been a little derogatory, but today we own it like no other. And it's something that, that, um, was given to the church in in Antioch. And then it says in verse number 9, but if you show partiality, you commit sin. 
So just real briefly, some things in the Bible that are sin are black and white. Some things are gray. So this particularly, I guess James is telling us, I, I don't know how else to interpret this, that if you show partiality, that's God, God says it's sin. So if you favor somebody because of status or who they are or who they aren't, you treat them differently, that that's sin according to the word of God. Because you're called to love all people the same. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Listen, how many laws do you have to break to be a lawbreaker? One. Some of my friends go to go to, go to certain churches where they, they think they have to keep part of the law of Moses. And, and they think they're made righteous by keeping the law. And, and I always explain to them, listen, you, you have to, if you're going to relate to God that way, you have to keep the whole law. And James here tells us exactly that, right? We just read it. If you break one part of the law, you're guilty of all the law. If you're a lawbreaker, you get a, you get a ticket for um, riding your motorcycle on one wheel at 100 miles an hour down the highway here, and you go before the, the judge, and, and he says you, you were reckless driving and endangerment and speeding, and, and you say, but I, I didn't murder anybody. Oh, well, in that case, here, you're scot-free. Well, I didn't, I didn't rape nobody this week. Like, it doesn't matter all the crimes you didn't commit. The one that you did makes you guilty. And so if you try to relate to God based on the law of Moses and by works, you have to, you have to 100% follow them all in order to be um, made righteous based on works. If you break one, you're a lawbreaker, then you're unworthy, and now you're definitely in need of the blood of Jesus Christ to wash your sins away. So we, you know, obviously we don't ever try to relate to God based on the law or on our good works because we realize that's an impossible task. The whole point of the law of Moses um, was that... It's, so in verse 11, he says, said, do not commit adultery. Also, do not, do not commit adultery. You do murder. You have become a transgressor of the law. So we just talked about speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Listen, what does it profit as faith? but does not have works. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Dead. You guys sure? Nobody's sure. You can read. You got that part right, but you're not sure. Okay. Um, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. So this is a section of the Bible that we call faith without works is dead. Everybody say that with me. Faith without works is dead. Now, I, I have to preface this, and especially if anybody's new or um, if anybody maybe is not real familiar with the Bible, let me tell you this. The very premise of what we believe about salvation and how you get to heaven, Paul wrote painstakingly about it. Just read any, read the epistles of Paul. Start with Galatians, read Romans. And in Galatians and Romans specifically, Paul is fighting gloves off to say that works does not save us. Paul, Paul makes such a powerful argument all the way through. And really the crescendo or the, the summary of that is found in Ephesians. Chapter 2, it says, 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So how are we saved? By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen, he's going to go on, Paul is. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So Paul says we're saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. And then James tells us, and because Paul was so gloves off about this idea, because Paul was, had a specific audience. Paul and James are fighting the same fight back to back against two different enemies. Paul is fighting the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, the, and those that followed the, 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 the Mosaic law for thousands of years according to, to the Old Testament. And Paul is telling these, these Jews who are becoming Christians that, that, that you're not going to be saved. You don't need to take the things of the Mosaic law and bring them now and try to um, tie them to Jesus. They're not necessary. You're fully saved by grace. And for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself and not by works, lest any man should boast. And then James comes along and he's, he's fighting a little different enemy. James is fighting an enemy that, that likes to say, listen, this is so important. I want us to catch this. Some of us might, and this is popular in churches in America today, and, and, and not to judge what they're doing in other churches. I, I believe even in those settings, good things are happening. But some of the biggest churches in America, wealthiest churches in America, most popular churches in America are being filled with seats because the pastors are telling people, just come and believe in Jesus and you'll go to heaven. You don't have to change your life. It doesn't have to affect who you are and the way you live just because the Bible says, believe in Jesus and you shall be saved. You know the verse I've quoted more times in six years from this pulpit than any other verse? Romans 10, 9. Trust and believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Trust and believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. And, and, and so we, we, we say, hey, just believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. And doesn't the Bible teach that if we believe in Jesus, we can be saved? Absolutely. The thief on the cross, what good works did he do? He was a little hung up. And on his deathbed, he put his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ and asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins. He was a rotten, terrible person. You would all agree that the thief on the cross deserved capital punishment if he was a criminal in our day. We would have pulled the switch for the crimes that he committed and had no, no qualms about it. And yet, by the grace and the mercy of God, he forgave him, and that thief is going to be in the same heaven that you and I are going to be in, and we're going to meet him, and we're going to see him in heaven. And he did zero works. Your works don't save you. If we're on an airplane, and, and the airplane is going down, and you're on a seat, and next to you is somebody who doesn't know Jesus, Unless you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, the person next to you is out of luck. Because if you, if you uh, subscribe to any other faith system, there's no way that person's getting saved before that plane hits the ground. Because of all the works and all the stuff you have to do that religion adds to the gospel. If you're sitting next to a Jehovah Witness, you're out of luck. Because of all the hoops you'd have to jump through in order to get saved. But if you're sitting next to me, you're going to be okay. Because I'm going to tell you Romans 10, 9, trust and believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. But listen, you have to understand this. This is what James is going to deal with. That word believe, it means something. Believe means a full surrender of your heart and life to God. And here's what I mean to tell you today in love. 
Don't, don't think that you just believe in Jesus and you're going to heaven if there's no proof, if there's no fruit in your life of salvation or repentance in your life. When they showed up to John the Baptist, he wasn't messing around either. And John the Baptist told him, hey, you guys get out of here. I don't even want to baptize you. Show fruits worthy of repentance. Put up or shut up. I used to know a couple more. I don't anymore. What's the other ones? Get up or no. Okay, we're going to, yeah. Skate tough or go home. That's only the one I could think of. <laughs> John said, show fruits worthy of repentance. Have something in your life that, 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 that happens as a result of your belief. If you really believe, then there will be some faith. There will be some works that will prove your faith. And when, when James says your faith without works is dead, he's not talking about salvation. You're saved, but if you're saved and if you believe, then he's saying you will have works in your life. Have you guys ever met the world's greatest soccer fan? World's biggest soccer fan. You drive to his house and he put a billboard over his house that says the world's greatest soccer fan. And then you go knock on the door and you say, hey, man, you're the world's greatest soccer fan. What do you do? Do you like do you watch all the soccer games on TV with your, all your garb on and cheer and. And he says, no, I've never watched a soccer game on TV. And you say, oh, that's way below you. You must go to all the soccer games. And he says, no, I've never been to a soccer game in my life. And you say, oh, wait a minute. You, you must play like every day, all day. You just go out. And you he says, no, I don't own a soccer ball, nor have I never, ever played in a soccer game. Well, then what in the world makes you the greatest soccer fan? Would you agree that he's the greatest soccer fan or not? Pretty much, no, there's no fruit in his life. There's nothing in his life that says he loves soccer other than the sign over the top of his house. And you could put a sign over your life that says, I believe in Jesus. I, I, I believe in Jesus, but does that mean that you're born again or you're going to heaven or that you're a Christ follower? Absolutely not. You can go put yourself in a garage that don't make you a car. You can go to McDonald's that don't make you a Big Mac. You can come to church. That doesn't make you saved. And when James is, is not messing around and James is saying, you say that you have faith, well, if you really have faith, if you're really a believer in Jesus, then there will be some, some, some evidence of that. Works and doing good works unto God it is not what saves you. It's what proves that you're already saved. You, you guys ever talk to a Christian, maybe invite a Christian to church or invite a person to church, and they say to you, I'm a Christian. I don't need church to go to heaven. I don't need church to be a Christ follower. That's just like the soccer fan who doesn't actually need to go watch soccer to be a soccer fan. No, listen, you don't. Of course you don't. The thief on the cross never went to church. He went to heaven. You don't need church to go to heaven. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're a Christ follower and you're a Christian, shouldn't you want to go to church? Shouldn't the fruit of your life say, I want to be around other believers. I want to hear the word of God. I want to grow in the word of God. I want to see the things of God in my life. And James is, is dealing with the real hypocrisy. And again, you guys, we, we just got to be careful because for sure, we, we, everything we do, we, we want to package it in the love of Jesus because ultimately people don't respond to, to, to the fear of hell to come to Jesus. And the Bible says as much. The Bible says it's the love of God that constrains us. It's the love of Jesus that ultimately will motivate you to become a Christ follower. But let, let's, let's get rid of the hypocrisy, and let's be honest. If you say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, 
then there will be some evidence in your life. There will be some fruit. There will be some works, some good works. Now, now what religion does, and religion is anything outside of the, the gospel of grace, outside of Ephesians 2.8, for you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Anything outside of that, anything you add or take away from that is religion. It's system in order to get to God. And what religion does is religion says, and many of you guys have been involved with the religions, religions say if you do good works, that's going to bring you closer to God. That's not how it works, y'all. You know, if you focus on doing good works to God, serving in your church, giving, feeding homeless, whatever you're doing, you're, you're focusing on being a good Christian and doing good works. You know what you're going to end up? Bitter, frustrated, and burnout. And, and you're never going to accomplish what religion tells you those good works will accomplish because you're never going to feel closer to God based on just doing good works. That's not the way it works. It's putting the cart before the horse. This is what's biblical. This is what's taught consistently throughout the word of God and true. This is what puts the horse in front of the cart is that your faith comes first and then your faith drive your works. Not the other way around. Your works don't drive your faith. Your works don't make your faith better. Your faith comes first. Your belief in Jesus, your relationship, your intimacy, your time spent with Jesus comes first. And when you love God, guess what you're going to do? Good works. When the guy came to Jesus and he said, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus had a real dilemma. There's lots of commandments. If Jesus said, hey, the greatest commandment is, is don't steal, well, then what about don't murder? And if Jesus said don't covet, what about don't have any false gods? And Jesus is in a real dilemma. What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Let me ask you a question. If you love Jesus with all your heart, mind, and soul, are you going to murder people? Are you going to steal? Are you going to lie? Are you going to cheat? Are you going to do any of those things? If you love God, love your neighbor, are you, are you going to, you, you will ex- receive the, the whole of the law that God wants to put on your heart and life. It's love. And, and you know what the fruit of, of maturing is? And James wants us to be mature. The evidence of, of, of maturity in your life is love. You love God. You want to spend time with Jesus. You're falling in love with his word. You're falling in love. You, you, you want to know God. You're hearing God's voice more. You're growing. God's using you more and putting fruit in your life. Now, now the works that we do, uh, this is, this is the, the, the way they work. Don't focus on doing good works. I don't want anybody to leave here today and say, man, I've got to have some evidence in my life of my Christianity because faith without works is dead, and I've got to start doing, doing, doing something for God. Don't leave that way today because you'll end up frustrated. This is the way, and every Sunday, the way that I want you to leave. I want you to leave here today loving Jesus a little more than you came, being a little bit more passionate about knowing the God of, the, of heaven, about knowing the God that created you and loved you and died for you and rose again. And the invitation that God has given every one of you to be his children. And to those that believe, to these, he's given the opportunity to be the children of God. So I want every one of you to, 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 to love Jesus. Pray. Seek God. Read the word of God. Spend time with Jesus. And you know what's going to happen as you spend time with Jesus in your life? You're going to start to do, God's going to start to put things in your life that you're passionate about, that you want to do, that doesn't feel like work, that things that, that become evidence of good works in your life, and you'll begin to do good works. Amen? Hey, I'm going to end with this last thing, and then 
Um, look, look at verse. Um, I'm in John. That's why. Okay. Look at verse 19, and then we're going to close with this. Let's have the worship team come up, close us in a song. In verse 19, it says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the, the demons believe and tremble. But you, but do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? You ever talk to somebody and they say, I believe in God? One of the pastors at Calvary Chapel, Robert Furrow, is at Calvary Chapel, Tucson. It's to one of the bigger Calvary chapels in the system. And Robert Furrow's testimony is he grew up in church. He grew up in a dead denominational church, and he never met Jesus in that church. But he believed in God, and he was told his whole life, if you believe in God, you'll be saved. Believe in God, you'll be saved. Believe in God, you'll be saved. And when he really got saved and he really surrendered his heart fully and completely in what we call a full surrender of his heart and life to God, he had a guy challenge him with this verse. And Robert, Pastor Robert Furrow shares, the guy said, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? And Pastor Robert said, because I believe in God. And the guy said to him, he quoted this verse, well, the demons believe, are they going to heaven? Well, I guess not. So then, so then there's more to it. We call it demonic faith. Now, again, when we live in this easily offended culture, you know, it's called this faith demonic. People get twisted by that. But it is what it is. It's, it's biblical. There is a such thing as a demonic faith. You say you believe in God, but it doesn't change your life. You, you don't become, there's a cost of discipleship. The cost is every part of your life. It's everything. You give your life to become a Christ follower, and you follow him with every part of your life. And you can't say that you're a follower of Christ or you're a believer in Jesus if it hasn't changed your life. And this guy said the demons believe and tremble. Even more so than you, they're in the presence of God. They, they travel to and fro, fro in the spirit realm. They can see angels and, and they can see God and they know Jesus, but not unto salvation because that's different. So they believe, but to really believe Jesus will affect and change your life. And so we want to make sure that everybody in here today knows the Lord Jesus. We want to make sure that everybody in here is not living with any kind of demonic faith. And, and again, not to scare anybody. It's not the point. But to make sure that you understand there's a cost of discipleship. And being a believer in Jesus Christ, there's some fruit. You know, what if I told you guys um, there's a bomb in here. And when it goes off, it's going to kill everybody in this room and everybody in the neighborhood. And it's set to go off in about four minutes. And um, in, on, in this bomb that's in the middle of the room here, it's, it's a bummer. I don't know why people would have put a bomb in here. It's going to kill us all. You know, I, I wish they wouldn't have done that. But now, if I go on and on for another few minutes talking about how terrible this bomb is, I, I probably don't believe or you won't believe that I believe there's really a bomb there, right? What if I did this? Hey, there's a bomb! And I just bounce, right? If I got outside and... Boom! And I ran. Get out! Save yourselves! There, there's some action that goes with what I believe. There's some proof. There's some evidence that I really believe there's a bomb because the, the action in my life proves that I believe that. That's what James is saying, okay? That's what James chapter 2, in essence, is about. That there's evidence in our lives if there's faith. Amen? Amen.